Our scripture reading this evening is Genesis chapter 2. Our article from the Belgic Confession this evening is largely focused on the doctrine of sin, but it begins with the statement of the doctrine of human beings being created in God's image. One of the things that happened in the first few chapters of our Genesis series is there's always many things that fall to the cutting room floor, as it were. And so I've been waiting for a time to be able to treat some of those things more directly, explicitly, And so I'm using the Belgic Confession's reference to creation to talk about some of those things we didn't have time for in our study of Genesis. All of that to explain why we're reading Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. 
And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the wisdom of your word, for the way in which it shines light on our path, shows us the true nature of the world, and shows us what is true and good and beautiful that you have made as our creator. We humbly confess to you that we are often foolish and tempted to wander from the path that is good. And so we pray that you would do the work for our good and for your glory of reorienting us, rerouting us in the goodness of the world that you have made, especially our callings as your human creatures. We pray that you would do this for us, through this the teaching of your holy word, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our lesson from the Belgic Confession is the first part of Article 14. I would invite you to turn there with me in the back of your Psalter hymnals. It's page 859. Article 14, it's on the bottom right-hand corner of page 859. We're going to read aloud together the first three paragraphs. So you have a full paragraph there. The second one is split between the two pages. And then the third paragraph ends with his entire nature. Those are the three we're going to read aloud together. The first part of Article 14 of the Confession. Let us say together, We believe that God created man from the dust of the earth, and made and formed him in his image and likeness, good, just, and holy, able by his own will to conform in all things to the will of God. But when he was in honor, he did not understand it and did not recognize his excellence. But he subjected himself willingly to sin and consequently to death and the curse, lending his ear to the word of the devil. For he transgressed the commandment of life which he had received, and by his sin he separated himself from God, who was his true life, having corrupted his entire nature. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, our current cultural time and place highlights something for us that has always been an important part of the Christian faith. And that is the good news that human beings are made in God's image. And what I mean to emphasize there is not just the truth, the fact, the reality that we are made in God's image, but the fact that it is good news. When human beings cut themselves off from the Creator, when they Uh, reject the idea that they are given an identity, a calling, a purpose from God, the result is the loss 
of our dignity and purpose and meaning, a loss of that beauty of being made in God's image. And one of the things the work of our Lord Jesus Christ does for us is restores that image of God in us. He restores the image of God in part by alerting us to the fact that it is true, that we as human beings have purpose and meaning and value. Now, I say that there's something about our current time and place that highlights this. We know that we are living in a time when our particular culture wants to simply be making all of this up as they go along. To say that your human identity, your purpose, what you are called to be as a human being is sort of a choose-your-own-adventure, you get to make it up for yourself. There are ways in which that reality highlight something for us helpfully. So when I say this, I don't mean this in a doom and gloom way. This is something that in different ways the church has always faced. Now we face it in a particular way, and we need to be wise about that, but when I highlight the particular way, I don't mean to be suggesting this is a new thing. It is not new for the church to face opposition Many would say that there is particular wisdom to be gained from times in the church's life where there is a greater contrast from the surrounding culture. Too often Christians have the tone as though it has never been this way before. There were no good old days. As I think it's very important to say, there's no other time I'd rather be raising children in. No other place. This is the time and place in which God has placed us, and we need to appreciate that in a very meaningful sense, there is nothing new under the sun. Part of the early church's witness was in the valuing of human life. At the time of the early church, at the time of the Roman Empire, there were all sorts of ways, all sorts of cultural expressions that denied and rejected that, and the church's witness with regard to the value of humanity was part of the church's appeal. From the beginning of the church's life, controversies around the Lord's Supper surrounded the affirmation that every human being, regardless of class, regardless of male or female, that every human being belongs together at the Lord's table. And what the Lord's table does is affirms that value of our humanity. We could go on through examples throughout the history of the church. This is nothing new, but we need to be alert to the particular ways that we face it. And the way we face it is in this kind of absolutizing of individual freedom and identity, that you make up your identity as you go along. What I want to set before you this evening is some ways in which what we confess about creation, about the fact that we are human beings created in God's image, addresses all of that. Now, it's something I alluded to during our time in Genesis. It's what I want to focus on this evening. So, a bit of an overview of where we're going. First, a very, very brief overview of Article 14. Second, I want to give you a list of five particular points at which our being made in God's image is good news, speaks to our value, who we are as human beings. And then, finally, I want to spend just a few minutes on how that shapes how we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. First, a very brief overview of Article 14. What is happening here is this week is Article 14, and I'm just focusing on the creation part. Next week is Article 15 about sin, so I'm going to be bringing the sin part of Article 14 into Article 15, all of it together next week. Somehow we're going to make that fit in 25 minutes. We'll figure it out. 
This evening, though, we're focusing on simply the first part, but I want you to hear it in context. The first paragraph, affirming, letter A on your outline, God created men and women good and in his own image. Theologically, we speak of two different uh, levels at which we are made in God's image. There is the more spiritual or theological level, true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. There's also, we could say, the level at which we as human beings are similar to God and thereby distinguished from animals. Our ability to love, relationships, communication, creativity, in all of these things, we are distinguished from the rest of creation as being similar to God, made in God's image. Letter B. In Adam, we rebelled against our Creator and subjected ourselves willingly to sin, death, and the curse. This is a wise aspect of what the Belgic Confession does, is emphasizing that event as a story, as something that happened in history. And that is important because sin and evil, it's not just a philosophical question, it's not just a theological idea, but it is an invader. It's, it's not the original design plan. And the story of the fall helps us make sense out of that. Letter C. As a result, our very nature has been corrupted so that apart from Christ, everything we do is tainted by sin. Those are the three truths affirmed by Article 14. B and C will be our focus next week together with 15. The articles look long, but a lot of it is just a stringing together of Scripture passages. So it'll, you're skeptical now, that's fine, but it, it, will, it will fit. This evening, we focus on A. God created men and women good and in his own image. Number two on your outline. It is good news that we have a calling given to us by God as creatures made in his image. Two big ideas wrapped up in that statement. I'm going to give you the five parts of this in a moment, but still under number two, before letter A. That this is good news. That we ought to have this tone, this demeanor about it. That this is a positive, glad, joyful thing that the Christian church proclaims. I also want to highlight that word, calling. To say we have purpose which everyone wants to say. To say we have purpose means we have to ask, what is our purpose? To say we have meaning means we have to ask, well, what is that meaning? And the thing I want to emphasize here is you cannot have one without the other. I was recently in a context, I I don't want to explain all the details of the story, but basically someone was wanting to say in a very non-confrontational way that just would sound positive. It's a thing we Christians say, isn't this great, that you all as humans, you all have meaning and purpose and value. And it struck me how everyone who was hearing this, many non-Christians, they would agree with that. they say, yes, we have meaning and purpose and value. But then we want to turn around and say, and I get to make it up on my own. I get to invent it. Well, when you say that, you have just denied the very idea of meaning and purpose and value. We too often, in debates with the culture, we focus on, here's what God says we should do. Here are the rules God gives. Here's the rights and wrongs of it. And what we miss is the good news of this. That any time we say, 
human beings should do these things, we're saying something about our value, that we have a calling and a purpose given to us from outside of us, that our Creator has made us from the beginning with a calling and a purpose, and that is a good thing. Now, why care about this emphasis? Why make such a big deal out of this? This challenges us to think wisely about our calling and the ways that we subtly resist it. All of us right now have some area of our life where the thing we're up against is the calling God has given us, and we're still relating to it as rules. We're still relating to it as sort of an arbitrary thing God has said, and we're not thinking wisely about this being our very calling, purpose, meaning, value as human beings. And so for our own sake, our life of faithfulness to the Lord, we need to be challenged to think in that way. Another reason this is so important is I am very convinced that this desperately needs to shape our tone of witness before the world. That our witness needs to be fundamentally positive. That what we are calling our fellow human beings to is the full embrace of their humanity. What we are saying is in a way that actually has substance, you have meaning. What we are saying in a way that actually has reality to it, concreteness to it, you have purpose and value. And too often that is not what the world hears us saying. They hear us simply wanting to impose rules. What they need to hear from us is the affirmation of meaning and value and purpose. And that one of the ways we express all of that is by the calling that the Creator has given to us. And yes, because we are sinners, that calling often conflicts with our instincts and desires. But the overall tone of it must be positive in that way. Okay, let's now inflect that or scatter that in terms of five different things we can say flowing from Genesis 2 about that calling. And I want you to be now pulling everything we've just said through this. It's a calling that is what it is because it's affirming our purpose and value and meaning. And so these are things we need to be able to say in that positive way. Letter A. We are created to enjoy fellowship with God. This is clear in the creation account, though in many ways it is assumed. Genesis 2 verse 8, God creates the garden in Eden and places as human beings in it. Well, the garden has all the imagery of a temple. We talked about this in our time in Genesis. And so when God creates the creation as his temple and then places us in it, the whole point of that is to be in fellowship with the God who is dwelling in his temple. This is made explicit in the language of redemption and new creation, Emmanuel, God with us, that the whole promise of salvation is God dwelling with his people. We were made for fellowship with God. That Fellowship has the shape of walking a certain way, living a certain way. That involves commandments God gives that correct our sinful disposition, our sinful orientation. But what is the purpose of all of those commandments? It is to protect the life of fellowship with God. We see that most clearly when we see all these things as rooted in creation. I am pleading with you, be part of the church's witness having this tone. God made you for fellowship with him. 
as you speak with your children about these things. This ought to be clear, that the life we are commending is good because it is the life of fellowship with God. Letter B. We are created to work and be creative, caring for God's good creation. Especially in times of prosperity, our culture is tempted to relate to work as an unfortunate necessity. Now, we can say, to be sure, there are bad things about our work because of sin and the curse. The creation is not work as God designed it to do, but the goodness of work remains. And so we declare to our fellow human beings that the things God has given you to do in His good creation are putting you deeply in touch with why you exist at all. When you are studying algebra, you are deeply in touch with why you exist at all. In all of our work, all expressions of creativity, exploration, learning, study, and all small expressions of that, this is not just a command of something to do. It's a purpose, a calling, meaning, value. Many of you love gardening in particular. There is something fundamentally human about that. The joy of our human work and cultivation bringing something out of God's good creation. And our sin fights against the goodness of work. What are we for? The goodness of that as a calling and fellowship with God. Letter C. We were created male and female, and our being male or female is a calling given to us by our Creator. Now, in one sense, and I'm about to contradict this, but in one sense, for letter C, I don't want to say anything more than that. This is the point that needs to be affirmed far more than the details. That maleness and femaleness is something given to us by God, it's the way we were created, and that our embodied nature says something to us about what God has called us to be and do. Now, this does not mean that every instinct we have about gender is grounded in creation. The 1950s could very well have had everything wrong. I think that decade might have had everything wrong. That's not the point here. The point is that there is something about our maleness and femaleness that truly is grounded in the created order. And it is that thing that we need to affirm, even as we can allow for all manner of complexity of how that is expressed, even as we can allow for all manner of different cultural expressions in different times and places. This requires wisdom. And a minister should not pretend to answer all questions like this in the mode of thus saith the Lord. But what we can clearly affirm is that there is something about it grounded in creation. And in the midst of all of the, what can be, if we share that conviction in common, in the midst of all of the um, enjoyable conversations about that, there needs to be that stable place of what we are exploring, what we are talking about, is a calling given to us by God. Let that be the stable place from which we can, in a sense, chill out about all of the debates. We don't have to have every detail figured out. Another thing in this connection that we can say clearly, letter D, we are created to honor marriage as a good gift of God, whether married or not. 
Now again, these are not new things for us. What I'm wanting to present is these things in their connection. That this needs to be presented with the language of a calling that simultaneously affirms our meaning and purpose and value as human beings. And the honoring of marriage is not just for married people. Those who are not married also have their own ways of honoring marriage. Marriage is a created good. Again, this is a point at which there's all sorts of details we could talk about, but I think what most needs to be affirmed is simply that reality. Marriage is a thing that is what it is because God made it what it is. Letter E. We are created for relationships with each other and are called to honor those relationships. The statement that it is not good for man to be alone has its direct application in marriage, but we can, we can unfold the pattern given to us in Genesis into all the different kinds of relationships that God gives to us as human beings. And part of the point here is that those relationships are callings, meaning we are not just isolated individuals who get to pick and choose whether or not we want to be in a particular relationship, but God creates us in relationships, and he creates us with obligations to those relationships. That is part of our meaning and purpose. We are relational beings, and it is a good thing that we have obligations to them. We cannot simultaneously say, you have no obligations and you have meaning and purpose. We can't say both. And we need to say both with that tone of it being good news. You have meaning and purpose. And part of the meaning and purpose the Creator has given you is the relationships you are embedded within. And yes, as we said before, because of our sin, we often resist that. But God has created us for fellowship with Him, and this is the path of fellowship with Him. Finally, number three, creation and the gospel. The resurrection of Christ is God's announcement that he still cares about his good creation. Now I know that may sound a bit random to say right there, but the point is this. The shape of the gospel of how God saves us has the shape of affirming all of that creation stuff. Because after Jesus died, he did not just become a spirit floating off to heaven. His body was raised And the resurrection was God's announcement that this created order he has made is something he still cares about. So all of those things we have just said about our human calling being grounded in creation should affect then how we hear and speak about and receive the gospel. Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4 both speak of the gospel as a manner of us being renewed after the image of God. That part of what God is doing in Christ is remaking, repairing, fixing that which was broken and distorted by our sin. So quickly, as we conclude, three ways that uh, connection matters. Letter A, the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms all of life. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it means to live in those five areas we just listed with the grain of reality. It means to live in those five areas we just listed the way God made them to work. And so that means so often the most fundamental things about what it means to be a Christian are very ordinary. They are just human things. Because what God is doing in Christ is restoring that humanity. Letter B, our mission. 
The mission of the church is to be light by living with the grain of reality as that which is truly good. Do not underestimate the countercultural significance of this, of simply living in the world as God made it with the conviction that it is a calling God has given to you. When we talk about mission, evangelism, witness, this is so often the part that we skip. We want it to be something about a particular way of speaking with a certain individual to persuade them of something. And we so often neglect what it means to simply being a people living in a way that is sane. With reality as God created it to be. We want our fellow human beings to understand their honor and recognize their excellence. Where'd that come from? Well, that was the Belgian Confession. How was sin described? But when he was in honor, he did not understand it and did not recognize his excellence. What God is doing in Christ by his spirit through salvation, one of the ways we can summarize it in the undoing of sin is to help us understand our honor and recognize our excellence as human beings. And it ought to be clear to those around us that that is what we want for them. It ought to be clear to those around us that what motivates them is that we want our fellow human beings to see what really is their honor, to see their excellence as creatures made in God's image and the life they are called, the life they are called to because they have that meaning and purpose. And the point here is that our witness ought to have that tone. It ought to have that ethos, that vibe, that mode to it that is because we care about them, because we love our fellow human beings, because we serve the God who so loved the world that he sent his son, that we desire that they would understand these things. It's not about winning a fight. Or to put it differently, it is about winning a fight, but it's about winning a fight with spiritual darkness and evil in which all of our fellow human beings are on the side of being oppressed by that spiritual darkness and evil. Seeing this way of life grounded in creation helps us have that tone. Letter C, our hope. God has promised the resurrection of the body and new creation at Christ's second advent. Seeing this whole way of life grounded in creation vindicated, affirmed by the resurrection of Christ, then helps us understand the shape of our hope. That God cares about these bodies, this creation, and he has promised to set all things right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would give us this life and witness, and that you would make it fruitful for our good, for your glory, and for the good of our neighbors. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.